You're listening to Comedy Central. March 27, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. tonight is a fascinating human being. She is a social psychologist with a fascinating new book about implicit bias. Dr. Jennifer Ebhardt is joining us, everybody. (laughs) Also on tonight's show, the good news in the Mueller report, the hot new Democrat, and the man who won March Madness. So let's catch up on today's headlines. First up, the moon. Getting there... (laughs) was one of America's greatest achievements. But what if America could get there again? A bold declaration by the vice president today. The Trump administration wants U.S. astronauts back on the moon in just five years. Last December, China became the first nation to land on the far side of the moon and revealed their ambition to seize the lunar strategic high ground and become the world's preeminent spacefaring nation. And let me be clear. The first woman and the next man on the moon will both be American astronauts launched by American rockets from American soil. Wearing American apparel, holding an American girl doll, and paying with American Express. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie, this uh, announcement kind of took me by surprise. Mostly because I was surprised to find out that Mike Pence believes the moon exists, you know? No, he seems like the kind of guy who thinks the devil put the moon there to make us think about nipples, you know? (laughs) Also, I like that American uh, people believe you can just, like, fix any of its current problems, you know, just uh, by rebooting your old greatest achievements, you know? Like, next week, Mike Pence is just gonna announce that he's sending a special ops team to the bottom of the ocean to re-murder Osama bin Laden. (laughs) We'll do it again, folks! But you know who is excited that we're going back to the moon? Buzz Aldrin, yeah he can finally get his house keys that he left up there. (laughs) Poor guy's been locked out for 50 years. All right, let's move on to sports news. The NCAA tournament isn't even half over, but we already have an MVP. Sports Illustrated reports on the only person in the world with a perfect NCAA tournament bracket so far. The odds of that are one in 281 trillion. Ohio neuropsychologist Greg Nigel correctly predicted the outcomes of the first 48 March Madness games. Nigel shatters the previous record streak of 39 games. I was actually pretty sick with a bad cold on Thursday. I woke up to call into work. I took some cold medicine and I almost just went right back to bed, but I knew I had two more brackets to fill out. Wow. (laughs) Wow. This guy had a cold and he still managed to fill out a perfect bracket. That is the worst overcoming an obstacle sports story I've ever heard. She's like, move over, homeless NFL player. This guy somehow opened up a laptop with a stuffy nose. (laughs) And it really is just luck, right? Because when you have this many people filling out brackets, it's bound to happen eventually. 
Like if an infinite number of monkeys filled out an infinite number of March Madness brackets, eventually there would be a monkey that would be like, wait, why don't college athletes get paid? <laughs> and finally, tonight, some international news from Australia. Two nine-year-old girls have gone on a destructive rampage at a Helensvale shopping center. Unruly and uncontrollable. Two nine-year-old girls running amok, kicking security guards, abusing shoppers and jumping on a car. A security guard seizing one of the girls' scooters in an attempt to defuse the situation. Police arriving shortly after, taking the girls home, much to the relief of bystanders. Hey, Suri, schedule vasectomy for next week. <laughs> Calling Jeremy. Uh, I can't believe that no adult there could control these children. Like, just no one in that entire Australia. There's like, no adult could control that you call the police. <laughs> that is truly a first world problem, I'll tell you now. Because if this was Africa, <laughs> it would still be viral but it will be a viral video of two children getting chased by a woman holding a shoe. <laughs> My grandmother would be like, the car, the which car is where you're going to kill who? Let's see who gets killed today! <laughs> All right, let's move on to today's top story. <laughs> the 2020 presidential election is now just 586 days away. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? It means, people, we are inching closer to finding out which one of the 800 Democrats will go up against Trump. And just look at how many people are running. Look at all those faces. Look at them. But before they can compete against Trump, the Democrats still have to defeat their greatest enemy of all, the skeletons from their past. So far, the theme of the primary campaign has been Democrats apologizing for the things they've done wrong in the past. Just this week, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand apologized for her former position on gun control. Uh, Joe Biden apologized for how he ran the Anita Hill hearings. And Amy Klobuchar apologized for not finishing the job on that one staffer that she didn't like. I said oat milk, not almond milk! Ah! <laughs> but one Democratic candidate, former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper, has no regrets, even though he definitely should. John Hickenlooper acknowledging that he took his mother to perhaps the most famous pornographic movie ever made. So I took my mother to see Deep Throat. Uh, I didn't know what next movie was. We thought it was a little naughty, but we didn't think it was that bad. My mother was, uh, I'm, I'm sure she was mortified. And, and I said repeatedly, I think we should leave. I think we should go. And at the end, she knew that I was humiliated. I have so many questions. Okay. You took your mom to a porno by mistake, but even if you didn't realize you took your mom to an X-rated movie, why wouldn't you just leave once the deep-throating started? <laughs> why did you watch the entire thing? I mean, even people who watch porn on purpose don't watch the entire thing. <laughs> and I know, I know that story makes Hickenlooper seem super weird, but I think it also shows that he's definitely qualified to be commander-in-chief, yeah. <laughs> Because if you can sit through a full porno movie next to your mom, then nothing will phase you, all right? <laughs> there could be a full alien invasion and President Hickenlooper will be like, my fellow Americans, don't panic. It could be worse. We could be watching Deep Throat with my mom. <laughs> and the aliens would be like, he watches porn with his mom. This guy's a freak. Let's get out of here. <laughs> now, while a lot of the Democrats are in the news right now for the wrong reasons, there's one candidate 
who seems to be flying high. A big boost for Democratic presidential hopeful Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, has soared to third place in a new poll of the Iowa caucus. Buttigieg picked up support from 11% of likely Democratic voters in Iowa, behind only Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Emerging from the massive Democratic presidential pack, he is beginning to catch nationwide attention. His polling numbers since last week has more than doubled. He is the hot thing in the race right now. Yes, that's right. The mayor of South Bend, Indiana, is now in third place in the Iowa Democratic polls, which is insane. I mean, he's so popular that I've seen people across America wearing his signature outfit of a dress shirt, blue tie, and sensible shoes. I mean, maybe that's just how white people dress. I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> the point is, who is this guy who is killing it in the polls? Well, let's find out in our brand new segment, Getting to Know Dem. All right, first things first. A lot of people are asking, how do you pronounce this guy's name? <laughs> it's pronounced Pete, <laughs> okay? It's like peaches, but you just stop, all right? Pete, that's it. Oh, and as for his last name, we're still figuring that one out. Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg, South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, I always say Buttigieg. his name wrong, Buttigieg. Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg. 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 Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg. Uh, Pete, Pete Buttigieg. Peter Buttigieg, the mayor of Indianapolis. Best way to pronounce your last name. <laughs> <laughs> Buttigieg, but uh, around South Bend, they just call me Mayor Pete, and that's fine with me. Oh, thank God, Mayor Pete. We'll take Mayor Pete. We'll take Mayor Pete. Yeah, because people were really struggling with this one. Uh, it's not Buddha Edge, it's not Buddha J, and it's definitely not Butt Tag. <laughs> that was a weird one, Butt Tag? Butt Tag is actually the name of another movie that Hickenlooper saw with his mom. <laughs> That's what that is. It's Buddha Jezh. But now that we're all on the same page on how to say his name, well, what has he done? For a guy who's only 37, Pete Buttigieg boasts an impressive resume. First elected mayor of his hometown at age 29, a Harvard-educated Rhodes Scholar, as well as a lieutenant in the Navy Reserve. Took an unpaid seven-month leave during his mayoral term for a deployment to Afghanistan. Not only the first openly gay presidential candidate, he's also a newlywed. Would be a president of first, the first to be elected in his 30s, the first millennial, the first openly gay commander-in-chief, and the first mayor. Uh, this is the only chance you'll ever get to vote for a Maltese American left-handed Episcopalian gay war veteran mayor <laughs> Okay, wait, 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 wait. Maltese American? Are you guys telling me this guy's pot little dog? Because if that's true, he is gonna win every white person's vote in this country. White people love them little ass dogs. Love them! But seriously, though, I, I can see why people are impressed by Buttigieg, right? He has such a unique bio. He's a veteran, a Harvard graduate, and a Rhodes Scholar who's openly gay and also so young that if he served two terms as president, when he came out, he would still only be 46. Yeah, plus, he's a concert pianist and speaks seven languages, including Norwegian, which he learned just so that he could read Norwegian books. <laughs> Compare that to America's current president, <laughs> who has read zero books <laughs> and is fluent in zero languages. <laughs> in fact, 
Buttigieg is pretty much the exact opposite of Donald Trump in every way. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he also has the world's largest hands. And I know, I know you might be saying, so what, Trevor? Buttigieg is a cool guy. So what? There are plenty of cool guys, okay? And that's true. There are plenty of cool guys. I mean, like, do you guys know Brian? He's so cool. He has, like, a motorcycle, and one time he saw a dead body by the train tracks. Super cool. <laughs> but, but Buttigieg isn't just Brian-level cool. No, as mayor, he's also got a record worth bragging about. He ran for mayor at 29 years old in a place Newsweek labeled a dying city. He won. South Bend, Bend, Indiana was one of the top 10 most decaying cities in the country. He has done things to turn around housing in the area. He's done things with pedestrianizing the city. He transformed an old factory into a business park for tech companies. He raised the minimum wage for city employees, and now he is working on a paid family leave plan. Okay, first of all, can we just acknowledge how mean it is that someone made a list of the top 10 most decaying cities? <laughs> That's heartless. That's like People Magazine doing an issue on the world's most unfable meth addicts. Why would you do that? <laughs> I mean, it's a great way for Scabby Greg to get his name out there, but still, people, not cool. <laughs> this guy has a pretty resume. It's a pretty impressive resume, though, right? As mayor, he's done many things. And I know many people will try to dismiss Buttigieg as just some small-town mayor who's too young to be commander-in-chief. But according to him, he sees his age as an asset. I belong to the generation that provided a, a lot of the troops for the post 9-11 conflicts. The generation that's gonna be on the business end of climate change. And statistically, we run the risk of being the first generation in American history to actually be worse off economically than our parents if nothing is done to change the trajectory of this economy. It's a concern that calls on us to build an alliance among generations to try to make sure that the future really is better than the past. And you don't get that by promising uh, to turn back the clock. Now, of course, he doesn't want to turn back the clock. If we did, he'd just be a baby in a suit. <laughs> I'm baby. Now, if you're watching this going, Trevor, why are you only showing us the positive things about Pete Buttigieg? Because that's all we could find, <laughs> all right? No, I'm being serious. There's no dirt on this guy, like nothing. Usually candidates have some skeletons somewhere, but even his skeletons are singing his praises. He gave me calcium for my bones. <laughs> and I'll be honest, guys, I'm suspicious of any candidate who is this perfect, right? I've been burned too many times, okay? In fact, I think Mayor Pete should do something bad to prove that he's normal, yeah. Yeah, like maybe he should just wear a little blackface. Or, you know, maybe he should defend Michael Jackson. Oh, I don't know, go and watch porn with Hickenlooper's mom. Something, <laughs> anything. Because until something comes up, that's basically all you need to know about Pete B B Burger Goo. God damn it, I was doing so well. <laughs> well, that's Mayor Pete, everybody. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to The Daily Show. Now that the Mueller report has declared that there was no collusion, the Trump administration is flying high. These guys, are in such a good mood right now. Trump is smiling everywhere he goes. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is doing her version of smiling. <laughs> and Stephen Miller was even spotted out on the town with a new girlfriend. Yeah, I, <laughs> I know, I can't believe that that monster is dating Momo. <laughs> and when it comes to policy, the administration is totally unleashed. They're just doing whatever they want right now. For instance, they're trying to kill Obamacare again. 
Breaking overnight, the Trump administration now says the entire Affordable Care Act is illegal and should be struck down in court. That's a dramatic shift from previous statements when the Justice Department argued only part of Obamacare was illegal. The Republican Party will soon be known as the party of health care. You know, only Trump could brag about being the party of health care while he's trying to kill it. You know, it's like saying your wedding vows while you're making out with a bridesmaid, you know? <laughs> and seriously, these guys do not care. Because first, Republicans took away the healthcare mandates, right? Now, they're trying to take away all the healthcare protections. Soon, they're just gonna come out against health in general. <laughs> Trump is just gonna be like, new program, folks, we're giving everyone measles. <laughs> because if everyone has measles, no one has measles. Think about it, folks, think about it. <laughs> And now you might say, yeah, but Trevor, Trump always hated Obamacare. This is just politics. All right, maybe so, but that doesn't explain this. Now to that Capitol Hill grilling, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos faced over her department's proposed budget cuts, including a call to slash all federal funding from the Special Olympics. Wisconsin Democratic Congressman Mark Pocan pushing DeVos, asking whether DeVos knew how many children would be affected by the elimination of Special Olympics funding. We had to make some okay. difficult decisions with this budget. Again, this is a question of how many kids, not about the budget. I don't know the number okay. of kids. It's 272,000 kids. That's all. I'll answer it for you. That's okay. No problem. I like how he said that with a smile, but that was a super asshole thing to do. Oh, no, no, it's fine. I'll answer it for you. I'll answer it for you. I'll answer it for you. But I understand why he's so angry. I mean, the Trump administration is cutting federal funding from the Special Olympics. That just sounds mean, right? Because here's the thing. The $18 million that they're gonna save isn't even that much money for a government. It's actually what the government spends for Trump to visit Mar-a-Lago five times. Yeah, that's it. The same amount of money. So at the very least, you could compromise on this issue. Send the kids to Mar-a-Lago <laughs> and make Donald run for once in his life. Yeah? Yeah, everybody wins. And as if that wasn't mean enough, President Scrooge McDuck is now saying <laughs> that he thinks Puerto Rico has been getting too much money for hurricane disaster relief. Yeah, so in four days, Trump has gone after sick people, special needs kids, and hurricane victims. I feel like right now, baby seals are like, well, well we had a good run, folks. <laughs> For more on this issue of Trump being a total asshole, we're joined now by a man who proudly has the word asshole on his resume, Michael Costner, everybody. <laughs> Michael. I'm at a loss for words, man. Yeah. What do you make of this situation? It's so disappointing and so depressing. Shh, 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 shh. Hush your crying, my sweet Trevor, okay? You're looking at this the wrong way. What you're witnessing is President Trump in all his post-Mueller awesomeness. The Russia investigation was a dark cloud hanging over him, but now the sun is out, spring is here, and Trump is a douchebag bumblebee sipping the sweet nectar of total exoneration. <laughs> okay, so stop, stop that, your lips look weird. Oh, right. <laughs> Here's what I don't want to say. You said totally exonerated, mm. but Robert Mueller's report specifically said Trump was not totally exonerated. Like, you're sounding like Jussie Smollett right now. Oh, yeah? <laughs> and where is Jussie Smollett right now? Living as a free man, thanks to Robert Mueller. Wait, what? <laughs> Mueller had nothing to do with that. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you read the Mueller report? Did you get a sneak peek? 
No, well, but- Well, then but... shut those dimples tight, okay? Because <laughs> until it's released, the Mueller report exonerates Trump from anything he says it does. It gives him total freedom. And it's not just for Trump. It gives us all the go ahead to do whatever we want, you know? Hmm. No, don't, don't encourage him. Don't encourage him. No, Costa, you please, dude, you can't drink alcohol at work. Don't tell me what to do, work dad, all right? <laughs> Plus, don't worry, it's non-alcoholic, okay? Heineken, zero, zero, now you can. <laughs> Wait, wait, hold, hold up, hold up. Did you just do a beer ad in the middle of my show? Yeah, and I'm keeping all the profits because the Mueller report said I can. No, dude, the Mueller report didn't say that. Oh, did you read it in the last five seconds, huh? No, I didn't. No, oh, I, I didn't. That's what you sound like. Hey, do your, do your dimples ever, like, switch, you know? If they go in on the outside, do they go out? On the inside? <laughs> what? Costa, if that, if that beer's non-alcoholic, why are you acting so weird, man? Well, I may have been huffing some paint earlier, which <laughs> you're not supposed to do, but, you know, Mueller said it's cool. <laughs> Wink. I think I'm gonna pass out. Okay, we need a doctor. Michael Costa, everybody, oh, we need a doctor. Yo, yo, this is good, this is bad. This is good. to The Daily Show. I got this. My guest tonight is a psychology professor at Stanford University and author of the new book, Biased, uncovering the hidden prejudice that shapes what we see, think, and do. Please welcome Dr. Jennifer Eberhardt. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I have seen some of your interviews. I have read the book, and this is one of the most fascinating conversations that is being had in a completely new way. Let's talk about bias. What's interesting is many people think of bias as a way to say somebody's racist. Right. But off the bat, we've got to clear that off the table. Someone being biased is not someone necessarily being racist. That's right. And I mean, all of us uh, have a vulnerability to, to bias. And, um, and, and the book really looks at the science behind it. Right. And um, uh, I think bi uh, implicit bias can be defined as uh, the um, beliefs and the feelings that we have about social groups that um, can affect our, you know, our decision-making and right. our behavior, even when we're unaware of it. It's interesting so, because, you know, most of us hear the term bias or implicit bias mm -hmm. oftentimes when, when talking about police. Right. You know, we'll hear that police have implicit biases. They will stop African-American people or, or minorities at a higher rate than the general population. Right. And, and that plays into the why. But, but, but how does bias affect somebody's ability to do their job as a police officer? Well, it, it could affect... Um, so, so in this country, there's an association between blackness and crime. Right. And that association could um, influence, um, you know, the decisions that officers make and the actions they take, again, even without, you know, knowing uh, right. that it's affecting them. You, you so. actually worked with uh, Kamala Harris in, in, in implementing bias training... Yes. ...with police forces. 
How, how do you begin that? How, like, what do you say to somebody? You'd be like, now, when you see the black person, <laughs> no. Whatever you're thinking, no. <laughs> like, how do, you, how do you teach someone to not be biased? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, um, so the idea is to... Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> so, um, so, so what you do is, I mean, you, you go in and you teach them what bias is, what uh -huh. implicit bias is, and, but you also uh, teach them the conditions under which it's likely to be triggered. And so you want them to be mindful of those conditions in order to try to protect themselves from having uh, that bias affect um, what they do. Right. That, 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 was, that was another amazing thing that I learned from the book, and that is bias may not be on the surface. It may be triggered by an event, by yes. stress, by, by right. panic. By... Right. So what you're saying is there may be an officer who's fine all the time. He doesn't see black people as a threat. He but then when, when a situation becomes stressful, all of right. a sudden his bias kicks in. It could. It's right. like an allergy. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, had, I hadn't thought about it that way before, but... Well, you're, yeah. you're a genius. I'm a comedian, so... <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, so some situations where you're stressed, where you're um, threatened, uh, right. where you have to think quickly, make decisions really fast. Um, so all of those um, situations could trigger bias. It could make it more likely that you're going to act on that bias in some way. Right. And so... You know, we as individuals, we could try to protect ourselves from bias by slowing it down, you know, right, um, by uh, relaxing, <laughs> by, um, you, know, you know, sort of, um, you know, combating uh, the conditions that we know uh, are going to produce it. Um, and you could do that also um, at the organizational level. So a police department could um, develop strategies and, and policies that uh, don't put their officers in situations where they right. have to think fast um, and, you know, um, you know, where they're under threat and so forth. And right. So try, the, try and find ways to slow it down so that you are less, uh, I guess, you know, less at risk of your bias kicking in. Right. If, if, we, if we talk about bias as a police issue, it seems easy for everybody to understand. Okay. But one of the mo most powerful stories you, you write about is the story of bias in your family as it affected your son. Yes. And you, you tell the story of your five-year-old son. Yes. And you're in a plane together, and he looks over and he sees a black man with dreadlocks, and he says, that man looks like daddy. Yes. Right? Yeah. And you go, oh, yeah, well, he doesn't look like daddy, but why do you think that? And he's like, I don't know, he just reminds me of daddy. And then your kid says, I hope he doesn't rob the plane. Yep, that's right. right. And you yeah. ask him, which is really fascinating, you say to him, well, why would you say that? Would daddy rob the plane? And he's like, no, I, I don't even know why I thought that. I just, I just... That moment, I mean, as, as a mother and as somebody who studies this, what must have been fascinating for you. What do you think that displayed, I mean, of a five-year-old child who is black? Right, right. I mean, it, it, it really um, underscores how um, sort of, you know, all of us are living in this world uh, where we're absorbing, um, you, know, you know, what's out there. We're absorbing right. uh, what we see and we're absorbing uh, these associations that are getting made. And, and so my child, um, he, you know, picked that up, right, from living in the world, from, you know, from uh, being exposed to, to everything out there. It, right. it affects um, what's in here and it affects, you know, how you then come to associate, you know, a particular group with a particular behavior 
behavior or trait, uh, but then you don't know exactly when you learn that. So you don't have to, like, uh, I think people think that, oh, well, you know, children um, learn to be um, racist, say, because they have racist parents mm -hmm. who will tell them, you know, that, um, you know, these people are like this right. and stay away from them. But you can live in the world and just absorb that by just watching how people behave and just, you know, wow. yeah, it's, it's, it, you don't have to be explicitly told um, about a group. Um, you can you can learn that for it, yourself. And that's that's what a child's job is, is to pick up what goes with what, you know, what correlates with what. Right, pick They're up really, what is not said if, yes. effectively. Yeah. Do you think that it helps to have narratives and images and ideas that counteract that. You know, I, I remember a, a really beautiful conversation that I, that I watched. It was um, Muslim actors who were speaking about how the portrayal of Muslims in Hollywood has affected how many people in America and around the world see yes. a brown person who is Muslim. They go, yeah. this person is bound to be a terrorist because that's all they see. And they said, we need more roles where Muslim people are just Dan in accounting. You know, so you go like, this <laughs> yeah. person could be anything. Yes. But, but does it help to see images that, that counter it, or is it, is it more powerful than that? Well, I mean, I, I think it does help to see those images, but that's not, you know, the cure, right? right? Um, so there are studies that are, are have, that have been done uh, by researchers showing that even when, uh, say, African Americans are placed in positive roles and in um, powerful roles yes. on television, um, they uh, the the actors surrounding them can give them sort of. Uh, negative treatment or negative nonverbals that then wow. people pick up just watching the show. And so wow. you can become, you know, more biased uh, by watching uh, someone treat a black person in a negative way. So if Michael Costa gives me the stank eye, then people <laughs> out there could become biased. I'm watching you, Michael. I'm watching Where you. Where is he? <laughs> um, <laughs> let's talk about companies as well. You do, okay. you do work with corporations as well to try and help them combat bias. Mm -hmm. um, Airbnb is one of those. And we know that there were many stories where Airbnb was struggling with people who didn't want to, to, to have black people stay in their houses yes. and how they rented affected. How, how do you begin implementing this on, on a corporate level and then expanding it into the public? Yeah, so I mean, I work with them just informally. They yes. sought me out as a, as a social scientist who does work in this area. And right, they were having issues uh, with uh, racial profiling right. basically on the platform. And so, um, yeah, so they, so they um, tried to combat it in multiple ways. And so um, one was uh, by hiring uh, someone to uh, come in and to, um, you know, to, um, you know, so to, to kind of talk to people about what their experiences were, mm -hmm. uh, by um, looking at the law to see, you know, wh what could be done there. Um, they settled on actually having people uh, sign a community pact saying that, um, that basically that they wouldn't be biased right. um, and that they understood what the norms of the of the platform were, what were, you know, to uh, not um, disqualify someone from staying in your home because yes, of yes, your yes. race. Right. So for so they did all that. And then they also uh, put together a team of people. It's an anti-discrimination team um, that meets on an ongoing basis. And sometimes I meet with them as mm -hmm. well to try to uh, think about uh, ways that uh, will will um, you know you know shut it down or, right. or, or at least um, you know combat it in some way. Yeah. Before I let you go, one issue that has been discussed uh, discussed um, quite in, in intensely has been the issue around artificial intelligence and bias. Yeah. You know, we've seen so many stories of like artificial intelligence used in court cases or artificial intelligence used to determine people's threat levels or, or you know, and so on and so forth. But what's been interesting is the realization that computers and AI aren't biased, 
they are just exposing the bias in right. the people who program the, 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 the computers. Right. Do you think that that's something that, that we can fix? And, and if so, how? You know, when, I mean, we need to uh, deal with bias, right? So when we don't deal with it, um, it can just um, migrate uh, to, to some other place. Right. And so I think um, I, I, we, we sort of think about AI as doing all these good things and um, sort of, you know, doing a service uh, to us. But um, in that way, uh, they don't always. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, I'm actually um, using AI um, with the policing work now right. to look at uh, body-worn camera footage. And, and there it's really helpful because you can look not just at an isolated case where there's a sort of um, high-profile case yes, and yes, try yes. to adjudicate right and wrong. You could actually look across thousands of uh, traffic stops is what we're doing and look at how those interactions are unfolding and to try to pick up patterns in those interactions right. um, and to see the extent to which um, you know drivers who are black versus white are treated differently and so forth. So I feel like there's a huge promise there to um, the, the, the AI, um, um, t uh, using AI to actually analyze uh, this footage can give us a window into what is really happening on the ground, the blow by blow as it's unfolding right. in real time. Before I let you go, um, I really had a fun time reading about one particular incident or, or series rather. You know, it's interesting. So many people will say, oh, bias is not real or we don't see it, companies, businesses, etc." But there were a group of criminals in Oakland uh. <laughs> who are very aware of bias mm -hmm. and what they did was really interesting. Could, could you tell the audience what exactly these criminals did and how they used bias in their favor? So, yeah, so um, this was uh, when I uh, got to Oakland, California, and I was working, just starting work uh, with the police department there, and um, their, the crime rate was going down, uh, but um, there were a series of strong-arm robberies that always seemed to happen in Chinatown in Oakland, mm -hmm. and they would involve um, middle-aged uh, Chinese women, so they were uh, snatching their purses right. from their arms. Um, and... Uh, you know, so so this is real. It's really stymied. The, you know, the police officers they couldn't figure out um, how to you know catch uh, right. the robbers because um, when they uh, would would round people up and say, "Is this the person?" The the middle-aged Chinese women couldn't couldn't tell you. Right. And, and and when they asked the the robbers, "Well, well, why are you going there? Why are you going to Chinatown?" And they said, "Because you know uh, they can't tell the brothers apart." <laughs> 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 that is one of the most horrible, fantastic stories ever. And the book is full of them. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Wonderful having you. Bias is available now. Dr. Jennifer Eberhardt, everybody. Thank you so much. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.